What a good model does is it allows you to tell a story. If you can't tell a story or communicate your ideas to your audience, whether that's your boss or your client, having clarity and being able to communicate that is pivotal. Welcome to episode number 60 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got Ian Schnoor joining us as our third guest in our mini-series on the importance of building the skill of financial acumen in individuals and in teams. Ian is the president and founder of Marquee Group and is also executive director at the Financial Modeling Institute in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you for sharing your talents and insights with us today, Ian. You're very welcome, Andy. Thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, So in the spirit of full transparency here, uh, Ian and I work together as part of the uh, Financial Modeling Institute. Uh, I'm I'm on the board and uh, Ian runs runs the thing. And I just couldn't be uh, more proud of the work that uh, Ian and his team are doing uh, to uh, increase uh, financial acumen, financial awareness really uh, around the world. So thank you for that, Ian. Thank you. Uh, it goes back right back at you. It's been a thrill to have you and your incredible insights and guidance on the team. <clears throat> yeah, thanks. Now, before we get started uh, on the topic at hand, I always like to ask my guests to uh, tell our listeners your story. Sure. I have about an hour for this question. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I will keep that short. I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm in Toronto now. I'm from Central Canada. I did an undergraduate degree and then started a career as an investment banker. And I worked in investment banking for a few years, uh, all the while enjoyed loving the modeling work and the technical work of building models and what that entailed and what that meant. And after a number of years doing financial uh, investment banking, I left and I started a company that you mentioned called the Marquee Group, which is a training business. And at Marquee, we provide training programs all over the world, uh, a lot, mostly in North America, but we've run courses all over the world in financial modeling, evaluation, all sorts of analysis, accounting, Excel, data management, data science to help people bolster and build the skills they need to be tremendously competent and capable in their work. And then around five years ago, I was involved with others in starting and founding the Financial Modeling Institute. We recognized that there was a huge gap in the global market. There was no way for people to prove that they had strong financial modeling skills. And as we'll talk about, modeling has become has elevated and become a critical, absolutely critical skill set. But there's there has historically never been any way for people to validate and prove those skills. And so think of the Financial Modeling Institute like an accounting CPA or, or a CFA, we're trying to be the accreditation organization, which is what we do, through rigorous testing to allow people to both learn and then test and validate their skills. So I have been in this technical and modeling space for you know a long, long time, 20, 25 years, and, um, and, and that kind of gets us up to date. Yeah, I just uh, before I go on to my go on to my second question, can you explain to our listeners what a financial model is? If you had to describe it in like thirty seconds or less uh, for the uninitiated, uh, what, how would you describe a financial sure. model? Uh, I might be slightly over thirty, but I will do my best. I mean, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, a financial model has sort of a 
bigger umbrella definition and then a tighter definition that we use at the FMI. I mean, in theory, a financial model really just means building a spreadsheet to create a virtual representation of something in a spreadsheet that exists in the real world. So trying to analyze and understand anything in software, usually it's a spreadsheet, can be can be considered a model, some sort of a software virtual tool. However, in the world of corporate finance and the world that we live in, most people tend to have a narrower view of a financial model, which simply we use the term to refer to a spreadsheet-based for a spreadsheet-based tool that is a forecast. What we're trying to do is build a forecast, usually for a full company. It might be for a division or a business line, but we're trying to build a for often five-year, sometimes 10 or longer, but think of it as a five-year forecast of a company's financial statements into the future. That's what the model is, but the purpose is to allow us to make the most critical, important business decisions that you'd ever need to make about that organization. Awesome. Th thank you for sharing that um, with, with our listeners. Now, bef now, the second question is, you know, I like to ask, is there one event that you can put your finger on in your life that was a key accelerant for your career that got you to where you are today? Yeah, a key accelerant. Uh, I love the question as to where I got to, you know, um, sometimes you need to pay attention to how you're doing and how you're feeling and uh, within a certain situation. So as I mentioned, I had spent six years, well, I'd spent six years as an investment banker, the last couple at Citigroup. It was called Solomon Smith Barney at the time. Uh, it's now part of Citi. And it was fine. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't loving the work that I was doing. It was a great organization and a great place to work. Um, and this was ju just after 9-11, there were all sorts of layoffs happening and my group got cut and I got let go. And that was a tremendous accelerant because I don't know, looking back, I don't know if I would have had, you know, the, the inner strength to just walk away from an excellent job that was paying very, very well. Um, I don't know if I would have had the, the people always ask me, oh, what, what, um, what made you leave banking. And I said, well, I didn't, I didn't make that decision. That was just made for me. <laughs> I had help with that decision. The decision I made was not to go back. I had plenty of opportunities to go back to banking. I knew people in a bunch of banks and there were opportunities, but I made the decision to say, no, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to take a pause because I feel like there's things I want to do. So I thought, let me try for three, six or nine months to see if I can, you know, in university, I always enjoyed teaching. I was tutoring people. I was always helping people. It was just sort of a natural part of how I used to study for courses is to try and help people and tutor people. So there felt like a natural synergy to use my teaching background and my love of teaching and of models and modeling to see if I could build some training content and learning around that. And the rest, as they say, is history at Marquee. We just celebrated our 20 year anniversary. So haven't looked back, but that was a single event that, um, that allowed me to accelerate yeah. into the next step. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, uh, excellent lesson for our learners. One door closes, uh, an, another one opens, uh, and you know, in this case, uh, you, you know, you open the door your, yourself in many cases, that's what you have to do. You have to push that other door open, uh, which, uh, which is exactly what you did. Uh, so let's dive into the topic for today. Uh, you know, when you hear the phrase financial acumen, yeah. what does that phrase mean to you? Gosh, I love the word. I love the word acumen um, because it's, uh, 
it's bold, it has meaning, but it's not quite as tactile or tangible. And let me tangentially move for a second. You know, when we talk about financial modeling, uh, the reason why I like it, because for me, it relates a lot to financial modeling. Whenever I teach courses or I talk about financial modeling, people often hear me talk about the fact that Part of the reason I love financial modeling, and many people do, is because it's very multidisciplinary. It means lots of different things. To be good at building a strong forecast model of a company, you need lots of different skills. You have to understand accounting really well and finance, and you have to have some really good spreadsheet skills, usually Excel skills, and you need to understand data design and data flow and how to commu and communication is pivotal as well. So a lot of skills need to be pulled together, wrapped up into a financial model and modeling skills. And I think of the word acumen similarly. To me, acumen is, is a combination. It's a, it's a, it's an accumulation of technical capability of, of communication. It means financial communication, presentation, technical skills, confidence, having acumen. When you say someone has technical skills, they might just have that straight technical skills. But saying you've got acumen means you've got good judgment, insight, confidence, clarity. And to me, acumen wraps up all of that, which dovetails so nicely with what we're trying to do in financial modeling. That's excellent. Um, now I'm going to let's take the conversation back uh, and way back uh, yeah. to the to the beginning, yeah. uh, which is in our our you know our our school systems. Uh, you know, you've spent years training and coaching financial professionals who are kind of on the output side of right. our educational system. Uh, they, you know, they, they've, they've learned advanced financial uh, concepts. But in your assessment, what needs to change in our primary and secondary education in Canada and uh, in other regions of the world to improve financial literacy, which sure. is the then the the precondition for strong financial acumen. I think that financial literacy, financial acumen is is critical to anyone, anyone, certainly anyone that works in business, but anyone beyond that. You might run your own flower shop. You might have any role and understanding, being able to understand some level of financial literacy is does not need to be, again, really difficult, but I think it has to start earlier. It has to come with the recognition that insights rec uh, and literacy and understanding financial concepts is a critical part of our learning evolution. And, 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 and I would love to see it get, you know, a couple of my daughters in high school had options to do classes on financial management, but they either did or they didn't do them. But I don't believe that talking about literacy in financial concepts is as integrated in curriculums as much as it could or should be from an early stage. And I think when people are comfortable earlier on, it of course allows them to just stay comfortable throughout their life. So, you know, I, I don't have a great sense for how to change that, but I do think that that would go a, a long way. Super. Now, let's move on to the collegiate level. Sure. Uh, we're kind of marching through uh, the educational life cycle. Uh, let's uh, play a little thought experiment here. Yeah. If you had an, a university chancellor sitting right in front of you right now, what <laughs> advice would you give to them to set their graduates up for success in the workplace as it relates to uh, financial acumen? Sure. Well, at the collegiate level, at the university level, I'm certainly more intimate, more comfortable because we have been teaching and I have worked with tens of thousands of university students and recent graduates over the years. 
guess what I would say, and I would hope that they, I would hope that they would just agree is that, you know, as the world changes and the world evolves, the role of universities has evolved. And I certainly don't, uh, don't disparage or, 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 or diminish the need for universities to provide, uh, ideas and to allow students to think that's absolutely critical, but there's also, but recognize that for many, many students that go to university, it is a means for which they can achieve career stability and, and, and career success as well. Um, and so incorporating more tangible, tact, tactile, practical elements. Some schools I knew, I know do a better job of this than others. Uh, in, incorporated is not, sometimes I have a sense when I speak with academics that it is belittling to include technical or practical elements within a university academic environment when in fact it's what the students need and want and what's being demanded by recruiters as well. So I sometimes feel like there's a disconnect and I think universities can do a better job continuing what they do, but also finding a way and, and they'll use firms like us to assist with that. But I think it needs to be more part of the, the, the mindset and the culture. Some programs, of course, have been doing this forever. You can't become a doctor just by sitting in class. Obviously, the last few years, uh, you are in a hospital or a doctor's office for most of your time. And yet in other, in other areas, you leave and you graduate without a great sense for the practical basis. And I think um, there's kind of a a symbiosis that can happen between the theoretical and the the hands-on practical. Yeah, ab absolutely. So uh, we've got Ian Schnur on the show uh, today uh, talking about financial acumen. We're going to take a short uh, commercial break. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back. I, I love it when uh, folks on podcasts uh, say, and we're back. And sometimes they're not, there's, there isn't even a commercial in between. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, I've been waiting to say, and we're back for a long time. Uh, so our, our previous mini series uh, touched on the importance of communication and storytelling in business. How does improved financial acumen help non-financial leaders and managers improve their communication and storytelling skills? Uh, can you link the two together? Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, it's funny. I've talked about modeling a little bit already, and we've talked about the fact that what it is is a forecast. And the reason we forecast is because in the world of business and finance, the vast majority of decisions that are made are based on forecasts. You don't make decisions on personnel. You don't make decisions on raising more money or, or, or evaluations based on what happened last year or in the past. It's, it's about what you think is going to happen. And that's why it's so critical to have a, a forecast. But what I, so there's a very technical element of understanding and building up a model, but what I often tell people, and I, and I, I let them sometimes guess in a class, what they think I will say is the number one most important skill that a good financial modeler needs to have, because in my view, what it is, is strong communication skills. What a good model does is it allows you to tell a story. If you can't tell a story or communicate your ideas to 
your audience, whether that's your boss or your client, you're done. It's useless, right? You were a senior executive for a long time. I'm sure you saw more than just two or three presentations come to you that you didn't understand and think, what the heck are they talking about? Of course, you're not going to be able to move forward with a project if you can't understand it. Having clarity and being able to communicate that is pivotal. Now, for a non-financial person, the reality is, is that the, the numbers form a, will always form a strong part of a story, right? Anytime there's a story, it has to be partly based on a financial impact. And I think that it is, it is incumbent upon all professionals, not just the, the numbers person, to be comfortable with the numbers. And so what I always say is, is if you are really comfortable with, with the idea of the numbers and what it means to kind of dive in and you're not afraid of it, it allows you to focus more on telling the story. It's like driving a car. And I use that analogy in classes all the time. When you are first driving a car, when you first learn, and my daughter just got her license and just learned, you're so focused on your surroundings inside the car. You're focused on the touch and feel of the steering wheel and on the pedals are so strange and on where's the radio and how do I control the heat? And you're absolutely in your own little bubble and hoping to heck that your parent beside you is not, you know, you're not going to get them into a car crash. But as you become more comfortable and intimate with your surroundings inside the car and it becomes second nature, you're not focused on the car. You're focused on the road. You're staring at the road. You're focused on where you're going. You're focused on... Um, everything around you. And it's the same thing I tell people with financial acu acumen. Having a good sense of what the numbers mean allows you to step beyond it and to say, where are we going? And how do the numbers get us there? Otherwise, you're constantly hesitant and afraid to, to think and to speak in an intelligent way about the messaging. But the messaging will always need to partly include, not exclusively, but there's always a discussion around strategy and, and marketing. And I get that. Um, but but the numbers do need to form for many for most people a pretty critical piece of of the puzzle. Yeah, I'm. What I'm hearing is uh, is don't outsource uh, the the financials uh, wholly to the finance department. If you're a non financial uh, leader, let's say you're running marketing or you're running operations, uh, etc., you can't solely rely on. Uh, on the financial professionals within your business to do no. all things uh, related to the numbers. Yes, you need their help, but you've got to have a solid understanding because it's on you to tell the story. And if That's you don't right. understand the numbers, then how are you going to tell the story? A hundred percent. You have to, yeah. you have to understand. You have to understand it. You can't, because it's so, you know this, you've seen this. It becomes obvious to the recipient of the story. If someone is speaking about something and they're not completely comfortable, you can tell when someone is just going through the motions and talking about something, but they're not comfortable asking, answering questions, they're not really comfortable. That doesn't mean that the marketing person must be the expert in all things accounting. You're always allowed to say at a certain point, listen, you know what, that's getting a little bit deep. I'm going to turn this to, you know, our accountant to answer that particular question. But understanding the implications, how did you arrive where you did? How did you build up to it? It's not, that's the thing. It's not just about understanding the numbers. It's about conveying confidence and a, 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 a recipient, your boss, your client wants to feel a strong sense of confidence. And the way they feel confidence is only when they feel that everyone on the team brings a tremendous acumen and that they, they are bringing confidence, which just says, 
I got this. I know what we're doing. I'm totally comfortable. And, and that's why I'm comfortable sharing these ideas. And, uh, and when you do that, I think it's really critical for all, all people, all professionals to be able to deliver that level of yeah. confidence. Yeah. So, you know, th thus far we've talked about kind of a, a dearth of uh, financial education within our primary and secondary schools. So, you know, we're sending outputs from there into our uh, collegiate environments that are, are not uh, financially astute. And then those outputs then go into the business community. Uh, what advice do you have for business leaders to build financial acumen in their teams? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, advice for business leaders to build acumen, um, acumen is, first of all, um, exposure, immersion, right? Um, first of all, we have to kind of peel back Tear down the walls uh, and 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 the silos, right? There needs to be, um, a, there needs to be an, an intention towards creating comfort, and not, as we said already, not relying on the finance team to deliver the numbers, and you can just talk about them. There has to be a recognition that all people. Um, and it's okay. And, and, it, and it may make people feel vulnerable. Just because you're not an expert in one area, that's fine. The accountant is not going to be the expert in marketing strategy or digital marketing strategy. That's fine. You, you don't need to be the expert in all areas to be comfortable getting involved and in, in talking to it very confidently. So there has to be a notion around access, exposure, training, of course, putting people through programs, um, that, that push them and that get them out of their comfort zone. And, but then, but I'm the first, I'm the first to admit training by itself is useless unless you, it's just a spark. You need to be able to perpetuate it and keep it going and, and, and ensure that people are then utilizing those concepts to say, listen, we're going to put you through some initial training concepts. And then we expect that every time you deliver a memo or a document or a presentation, you're going to include these concepts in this framework and you are going to do the work um, to make sure you're comfortable with it. So I think it, it comes from largely a mindset shift of what people need to do and how to recognize that there needs to be, a, a this, I think, really strong, really strong leaders do have a multidisciplinary sense for what's going on around them. The, the, the days of being highly siloed, I think, are, are well behind us. And I hear this from engineers, from lawyers, from uh, accountants all the time. They need more breadth than they ever did in there before. So yeah, it has to start at the top. Um, and uh, and that's kind of how I would do it with exposure, training, uh, testing, all sorts of things to kind of move people forward. Yeah. So what I, I, I was writing down uh, a, a quote from, from you uh, that training is just the spark, that right. it has to be followed up with yeah. uh, experiential application. Uh, so I've, I've got, I've got that written down on my, right. uh, and, and you can quote me on it. And that's from a, from a guy who's started and built a training business. Um, I can't yeah. make people learn right? I can't make people right. learn. I can't make people internalize concepts. I can show them the way and give them a framework and get them excited. But then it, it, it is a partnership between the, the teacher and the learner. Yeah. And then one other thing that, um, that I was thinking about during your response to that question uh, was that we've got to stop shaming uh, people for not understanding uh, financial concepts. 
I've seen it play out over and over again uh, okay. where uh, you're in the boardroom and you're having a conversation about the numbers or a strategic plan and somebody in the room doesn't uh, doesn't get it. And so the person, y- y- another person who knows uh, what those numbers mean and has that insight, uh, instead of reaching out and lending a hand and saying, hey, how can I help you? Uh, gain a better understanding of what's going on, they instead take the smackdown approach mm. and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, per, you know, provide negative feedback, which is just going to make that individual clam up even more and resist uh, lear- learning even more. Well, culture, I mean, you're talking to culture, which is critical. And, and if that comes from the very top, if that, com- if that smackdown comes from the very, very top, then I think there's a problem that may not be solvable within that organization. I mean, and if it's a problem from a mid-level executive or a fairly senior executive, then I think it's incumbent upon the most senior execs to speak with that person or have another smackdown and say, you can't do that. You, that, that is not a tolerable, that it, we don't tolerate that. Um, there are plenty of things you don't know either. And, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, a strong culture is going to entail support and getting people what they need, recognizing that everyone brings a high level of expertise in certain areas and and a comfort level in lots of other areas. And um, you're absolutely right. I mean, any sort of disparaging smackdown will only will only force people into their shell, not comfortable getting out of it. So I I, I have not seen that that often, and I and it sounds like, and I know you have um, that that's disappointing to hear. But I would hope that. Uh, our good leaders out there can help to ensure that that's not the case. Yeah. So Ian, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Uh, My final question, we're going to play another uh, thought experiment. Uh, Let's assume that you've got a non-financial professional professional sitting right in front of you who's convinced themselves that they quote unquote hate math and all things accounting and finance. How would you coach them to bring their anxiety level down and help make these concepts less intimidating and less scary. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it's really great because a lot of people, a lot of people shut down and close doors when there are things that are scary. I guess I would start by letting them know that whether they like it or not, finance and accounting is just a language. It is the language that allows us to make the most important decisions in business, in organizations. So they'll probably would agree with that. And then I would, listen, if it was me, I would start with a, you need to have buy-in. I mean, as I said, I mean, I can teach, but I can't make you learn. You need to learn. And so, uh, what, so that's why I would start to pry the door open by, by talking about why, why they will feel better about themselves, about their roles, about their, about their, um, prospects, if they can be comfortable with this language and let them know that it's not brain surgery, it's not rocket science, and then start to talk piece by piece in a map out a pacing. First of all, you have to be having fun. It's very difficult to learn when you are tense and tight. So just that's why in classes we like to joke around and tell jokes because when people are at ease, they're learning whether they know it or like it or not, they're having fun. They want to pay attention. Um, you're, you're more receptive to concepts and ideas when it feels easy and natural. So we, we like, like to do things in a pace that's manageable uh, at a level that's manageable, um, push people, but not too hard. Got to go in a, in a, in, in a cadence that works. 
and and kind of build a journey, develop a journey that we will map out that allows someone to get there. And then when they look back at the end, they'll think, wow, that was so much fun. Uh, and, and I learned a lot. But it does need to start with, with, with buy-in. So yeah, identify what are the specific areas you need and want to kind of tackle. Uh, it doesn't, you don't have to tackle the whole world overnight. And and how can we get there? But if they recognize that it's going to be critical for their own success, I think they will buy into the idea. So I would do that if I was with someone that needed to elevate and and move forward. Yeah, help help the help folks understand how finance and financial concepts relate to them and uh, their daily lives. Make it uh, important uh, that. Uh, and, that they yeah, understand. and sorry to interrupt. Well, the one thing I tend yeah. to find is extraordinarily helpful is, as I said, demystifying and explaining yep. why. So, for instance, if you're talking about, let's say, a certain ratio, and someone has learned that a certain ratio tells you something, they might feel uncomfortable because they don't know what goes into the ratio or why it's used. So, if you can say, listen, all this ratio is, is you've got a numerator and denominator. Let's say it's a debt over EBITDA ratio. Well, what it tells you is X. And what it means is if it's above this level, there's a risk. And if it's below this level, it means the following. And so if someone understands, if when people understand why, when they understand why something is the way it is, first of all, it, it enhances and absorbs the learning. The learning becomes solidified because you're not just memorizing it, it's meaningful. And then they feel comfortable and confident discussing it and talking about it. So yeah, there's a lot of tools that I use and we use to try and um, you know facilitate learning, but, understand, but understanding why um, people then realize, oh, that's not a big deal at all. I was scared of that and I didn't need to be. Um, and so anyway, that's a tool that I think can be very helpful. Well, Ian, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Is there anything that you'd like to add uh, to our conversation to promote Marquee or FMI as we wrap up? Well, thank you. I mean, first of all, it's a thrill to be here. Uh, we could go on for a long time. I'm uh, really, it was really thrilled to be part of your podcast and continue working with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that if people are interested in bolstering or enhancing their Financial acumen, particularly as it relates to the skill involved in building forecast tools, which again are used to make the most critical, pivotal, pivotal business decisions, then they can check out a huge range of training courses that we offer at the Marquee Group in Excel, data science, modeling, valuation, et cetera. But then on if they want to truly validate those skills, you can come to the Financial Modeling Institute, the FMI where we have different programs that, that allow people to truly learn and then validate their financial modeling, their financial modeling skills in particular. So um, welcome to reach out if you have questions, but yeah, I, I hope people can find us if that will be helpful. Excellent. Well, you can find uh, Ian Schnur on LinkedIn and at Marquee Group and the FMI. Uh, and uh, he's, he and his team do wonderful, wonderful work. So this is uh, the Balancing Act Podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. Please like, subscribe, rate, share, uh, especially these episodes on uh, financial acumen because it is so incredibly important uh, for the future of human beings and uh, businesses and institutions. So thank you so much. Have Thanks, Andy. Week.